welcome everyone to Sunday service at Ananda Village. Welcome to our community members, to those who are taking programs at the Expanding Light, and those who are with us online, <coughs> and those who may be visiting us from our surrounding uh, neighborhood and area. And if you are new to Ananda and would like to know more about it, there's a reception desk out in the temple foyer, and there's someone there who can answer any questions for you or give you any information, and you're also invited to have lunch with us at our retreat the expanding light across the meadow. I am Tiagi Lisa, and this is Tiagi Peter, and it's our joy to be with you today. But today's reading <coughs> from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda, their comparative teachings from the Bible and Bhagavad Gita, the promise of the scriptures. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 15, we read the famous parable of the prodigal son. Jesus tells of the man who took the wealth bestowed on him by his father and squandered it in foreign lands where he fell into evil ways. At last, repentant, he returned to his father's home when his father saw him, he was, Jesus tells us, moved with compassion and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Fetch quickly the best robe and put it on him, and give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and bring out the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry, because this my son was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. Small-hearted human beings, identified as they are with their little egos, give exaggerated importance to any slight they receive from others. Thus they imagine God, like them, to be petty, unpardoning, and vindictive. In God's eyes, however, when human beings go astray, there is nothing to forgive. All of us are aspects only of his own self. He who made us resides in us. His call to us, always, is to return to our own home within. The way of return is described in the Bhagavad Gita in the sixth chapter. Supreme blessedness is that yogi's who has completely calmed his mind, controlled his ego-active tendencies, rajas, and purged himself of desire, thereby attaining oneness with Brahma, the infinite spirit. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh. reading today is from Whispers from Eternity. This is Yogananda's book of prayer demands and mystical poems. I actually discovered that there's a section in the book on prayer demands for children. I had not noticed that before. And I picked one of those today. And they're all just delightful. This one is, Thou art the cause of everything. I bow to thee. 
Dear Heavenly Father, the moonlight reminds me that all darkness passes. The sun reminds me that my mind too should be bathed in light. The seasons change because that is how I can have food to eat. The seasons change also to teach me to adjust to all life's changes. Thou art behind everything, teaching deep secrets for living a better life. Always I bow to thee. Always think for children being educated in that rather than just learning uh, Farmer in the Dell and E-I-E-I-O. Quite remarkable. You know, I was thinking this last week in preparing for uh, this Sunday, uh, and I was really marveling at Swami Kriyananda's life and uh, a number of experiences I had with him. And I realized that I would have to include some of them in the type that at the time they happened, uh, I was pretty clueless about what the lesson was in that or um, what real inspiration could I take from that. And I, like many people, would just take that experience, kind of put it on the shelf like uh, a shelf of books and periodically come back and look at it and think, do I understand it now? And so I'm going to share a few of those uh, with you today. Uh, actually, all three of these main stories I'm going to tell today, I don't think I've ever told anyone before, maybe a close friend or two, but certainly not in a setting like this. Uh, the first one is once when I was with Swami Kriyananda, I actually served as his physician for close to 40 years. So I actually had a chance to see him in many difficult situations. Uh, and I could only recall one time in that whole 40 years that I knew him where I saw him really distressed on what I'd call a feeling or a heart level. I'd certainly seen him uh, physically unwell. I'd seen him when his blood sugar was over 400. He had diabetes and several times it went way out of control or his blood sugar would be very low at 45. I mean, things that would make him physically very uncomfortable. I even was with him once when his hip dislocated and it's a very painful thing to go through. I was always struck by his mental equanimity and there he was with a dislocated hip on the floor of his apartment as the paramedics were kind of rushing around trying to get him ready to transport and he was telling them jokes. <laughs> and I knew he was in a lot of discomfort, but on one level you could feel that he wasn't really touched by it in the way that someone who was just concerned about their physical wellness and well-being would be. There was one time, as I mentioned, where he, I did see him with what I would call uh, a real heartfelt level of distress. Um, this was back in the 1980s. Uh, he was actually in Italy at the time. And I had gone over for some vacation and he'd asked if I would stop by and check on his medical things one morning uh, after breakfast. So. Uh, I popped down to where he'd eaten his breakfast out on a little uh, porch 
And um, clearly something was not okay. I mean, he seemed a little, I would just put it, distressed, emotionally distressed, feeling distressed. And um, I kind of went through the things that I needed to talk to him about around his medical care and checked his blood pressure and all the things I was supposed to do as a physician. And I finally just said, you know, is everything all right? You seem very distressed to me today. And he clearly didn't want to talk about it initially, but I persevered a little bit. I wanted to find out if there's anything I could help with. And he finally sort of stammered out. He said, you know, sometimes I am not sure that I have done enough to serve God. And he just, it was so heartfelt. It was like uh, a weight on my heart because I could feel the, the depth of feeling behind that. And we talked a little bit, and I actually said to him that, you know, how much his books had helped me personally, um, all the work that he'd done. He'd written many pieces of music, had founded the Ananda Communities, um, really helped bring many aspects of Yogananda's work out into the world. And I had told him several of his books, one called A Visit to the Saints of India. I had read it so many times that literally about a month before, it just dissolved in my hands. The whole book just fell apart because I'd been through it so many times. It just kind of uh, all uh, uh, collapsed. And that I'd probably read his autobiography called The Path. I'd probably read that 12 times in the 10 years since it had come out. Uh, and how much that had helped me, and I know it had helped other people. And I even just remembered at that point that he had mentioned a few months before that he'd been invited to uh, a leadership conference in California. Uh, it was actually being put on by the Repu Republican Party for uh, people in the political party who were going on to positions of leadership, and the fellow who was uh, doing the training had invited Swami as a keynote speaker um, to talk about leadership and his book on leadership. And the fellow, when he introduced him uh, to the whole audience, uh, said that he was so glad to finally meet Donald Walters. That was Swami's Christian name and what he often wrote under for books like leadership. Uh, that he, for years, he'd been giving friends, family, colleagues copies of this little leadership book on how to be a good leader that Swami had written um, because he'd always found it so helpful and he'd given away dozens of these and now he finally got to meet the fellow that wrote it. And we, so we had talked through a number of things like that and it was sort of like being in a summer squall where suddenly it's been raining really hard and all of a sudden the wind comes in and blows the clouds away and suddenly it's sunny again and it just sort of changed and we went on to a few other topics and um, he thanked me for my time that day and um, when I saw him later that day he seemed perfectly fine. Um, you know it was very interesting to me because it was definitely one of those situations right after that I went through this I kind of went what in the world was that? Um, you know it was a almost hard for me to uh, uh, think that our, our founder, Swami Kriyananda, with all that he had done, would feel in any way that he had somehow measured short in God's eyes for realization. And 
part of what I took away from that is I realized if I looked over the last decade at that point and looked at the things that had really distressed me, um, most of them seemed pretty petty by comparison. And it, it struck me how profound someone would be, how saintly someone would be, where that was the thing that upset them. That was the thing that distressed them. Uh, that their relationship was God, with God was paramount. Um, <laughs> I have to tell you, I was thinking of this too. Um, one time when I was traveling with Swami, I had actually gone over to Italy to um, bring him home because his health had not been good. And um, one of my jobs in traveling with him was to take care of all the luggage. And we just arrived back at the San Francisco airport. And uh, I was trying to pull this, one of his bags off the little conveyor belt. And uh, I remember I started to pull on it, and this was the heaviest thing I had, could conceive of. I mean, the thought went through my mind, is he traveling with an anvil collection or <laughs> cement bricks? And I pulled this thing off the cart, and of course I was off balance and was trying to set it down, and I managed to drop it right on Swami's big toe. And he was wearing sandals, so it was this big, juicy, big toe waiting there. And I dropped this incredibly heavy bag right on his toe. And uh, he actually yelped. It hurt. I'm sure it hurt. And, uh, you know, here I was, you know, it was like I'd gone all this work to get him back safely from Italy. <laughs> and now I had crushed his foot <laughs> as we were leaving the airport. And um, it was very sweet because he actually yelped, kind of went, yow! <laughs> It was almost like a cartoon character the way he did it. But then he stopped, collected himself a little bit. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Peter, don't be worried. Stuff like this happens. You didn't hurt me. Um, and I thought, how kind. What a kind human being who, in that moment, when I'm, sh you know, getting your toe squished like that, would be all that would occupy someone's mind when that happened but I was struck how quickly he shifted in concern for me. Because he knew as a physician I'd be very worried that I'd hurt him. Hmm. <clears throat> I remember another time uh, he was uh, getting ready to depart. I think this, he was going back to India. Um, and this was probably about 10 years ago. Uh, more toward the end of his life. And a group of us were at the Sacramento airport kind of getting him ready to go on the plane. And it was my job to sort of take him in his wheelchair out to the plane and deposit him um, so that he could uh, go. And he had a couple other people that were traveling with him, so I didn't need to go with him this time. And we were talking as a group beforehand and sort of just chatting. and. Uh, I had been going through a very challenging time with our um, medical clinic, which had been going through a lot of expansion. It's, we do a, um, an integrated behavioral health program where we see people for behavioral health issues as well as medical issues, and we'd lost several of our healthcare providers, so I was feeling pretty stressed by everything that was happening. And uh, Davey, uh, one of our spiritual directors for the community, just sort of asked me in front of the whole group. She said, Peter, you know, if you had to do it all again, 
would you be a physician again if you knew it was going to be this hard? And, uh, you know, she kind of asked me in front of this huge crew. Um, I thought for a second, and I sort of laughingly said, well, I'm kind of glad I didn't know ahead of time (laughs) that it was going to be like this. It certainly made it easier. We all had a good laugh. And um, I was wheeling Swami Kriyananda onto the plane, and just, it was the two of us. Um, And right when the two of us got alone, he sort of turned around and said, you know, Peter, you didn't answer that question accurately. And he must have caught my thought because when I had been asked that and sort of said something a little humorous, really what my answer would have been was, well, of course I would do this again. If it was 10 times harder, I would still do it because I feel this is what God had asked me to do, what my guru had asked me to do. Of course I'm going to do this and do my best job, even if it kills me doing it. That's what anyone who's seriously on the spiritual path will try to do. And I so appreciated that he wasn't going to let me off the hook for sort of trying to be outwardly humble or humorous to deflect something that he considered a very serious question. Another time I was with Swami when he was having his um, very first hip surgery. He he certainly... uh, Uh, managed to clock very many surgeries during his lifetime. I think he was working out karma for many of us on his own physical body. Um, And this was actually the first major surgery he'd ever had. He was going to have a hip replacement surgery. Uh, This was back in the, I think, mid-1980s. And um, I had not been practicing as a physician for very long probably just about three or four years. And it was a, a rather odd time to try to be a physician based here at Ananda and out here in our little rural area because the nearest hospital where all the other physicians were was um, about 15 miles away. And my life couldn't have been much different than theirs. Also at that time in medicine, it was, particularly in our county, it was not so much as um, we were all doing the same profession. It was almost a little bit more like a club or a guild. And, you know, they all had their offices right next to each other uh, near the hospital. They all lived in the same housing developments, belonged to the same gyms. Uh, All their family members were all friends and went to school together. And here I was out living in this spiritual community um, that was very poorly understood in Nevada County at that time. Um, I think nowadays, if you were to ask a typical typical Nevada County resident, um, gee, what do you know about Ananda? They would probably say, oh, I hear it's a fabulous place, and oh, they have a tulip festival that people go to every year. I've been twice, and I'm looking forward to going again this year, and the people are always so just delightful to be around. It was not like that then. It was... <laughs> and um, more than once, when I would be introduced uh, to uh, a physician for the first time, the first thing they would say, are you from Ananda? And I'd say, yes, I live there. Um, and they would say, oh, and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when I went in with Swami for his uh, surgery, 
Um, I actually said, would you like to me, me to come into the operating room with you and just stand at the head of the table with you while you have your surgery? And he said, you know, I would really appreciate that. So um, I worked it out with a surgeon. When you go into an operating theater, it's um, a fairly bustling, active place that's pretty noisy. And it's not just a surgeon and the patient. I mean, there's an anesthesiologist and several nurses that are helping off, and there's an assistant surgeon. So um, I realized going in there that this was my first time meeting many of these people, their first impression of me as a physician, um, and was trying to kind of behave myself in a way that I thought would be good, a good expression of who we were as a community and um, really trying to behave appropriately for that setting. So um, we had Swami on the operating table, and uh, he was listening to some music. We had some earbuds in his ears listening to some Ananda music. And uh, it came time to anesthetize him. And for any of you who have never seen an, uh, an operating theater in a situation like this, it's a very bustling place and there's a lot they need to accomplish in a short amount of time, but there's a fair amount of kind of friendly banter that goes on, and people are talking about what movie they just saw, and you know, the new pair of shoes they just got, and how their kids are doing in school, and all the, they all know each other. They've done these procedures literally hundreds of times already, so there's not really too much new about it other than it's just a different patient. And um, the anesthesiologist said, all right, I'm going to go ahead and push the plunger in, and this will put him to sleep. It was uh, a very short-acting anesthetic to initially put someone to sleep before they started breathing for the patient. And so I took Swami's little earbuds off, and I said, okay, they're going to go ahead and inject into your IV some medication that's going to make you really sleepy and um, I'm going to be standing here the whole time for your procedure. Um, is there anything else I can do for you? And he looked up, up at me, and he just had this blissful smile on his face, and he was already quite deaf by that point, so whenever he talked without his hearing aids in, it was this loud, booming voice. <laughs> and he just sort of boomed out. He just said, Peter, people who don't love God, their lives must be so empty. <laughs> and the anesthesiologist pushed in the medication and he just went to sleep. And I looked up and everybody was still doing their jobs, but it was total silence. <laughs> and no one said a word for about two minutes. They just started, you know, they were doing everything that they needed to do, get in position, but no one said a word. And I thought, what a world this is. What a comedy this is. Here's my spiritual teacher, and he has just said something so profound. All I could say to him was, yes, Swami. I mean, I felt that down to my toenails. Um, I felt the same way. I wouldn't have imposed that on the other people who <laughs> operated. So he did it for me. You know, it really struck me in watching Swami Kriyananda throughout his life that here we had the example of a very great saint living his life for God and 
we got to see how he dealt with all the vagaries and changes that would come and to model for us how to live and live as a lover of God, as a devotee of God, and to do it with great moral courage. You know, I think I would just like to close today just saying that I think what Swami would want to make sure that we're doing is uppermost that we're being who we are, that we're not trying to live our lives in a way that is in any way false or in any way not true to who we are as people, but that we do that in such a way that we help others. The, probably the best sermon we can give to another human being is to live our lives with great compassion and kindness where they are moved by who we are and moved with how we work with them with great compassion, with great love. And we've never said a word about those things, and yet they feel it. They feel transformed by it. I think the other thing he would always want to remind us is make sure we meditate every day. Um, if you're someone who has not taken up meditation yet, learn to meditate. It's a very helpful thing. It uh, helps us attune ourselves to spiritual vibrations in a way that uh, speeds our transformation. If you're someone who is already meditating or you've already taken Kriya Yoga, which is the main meditation technique of our path, redouble your efforts with your Kriya practice and make sure that you're meditating regularly so you're constantly reminding yourself on a soul level who you are, why you're here, and what your goal for this lifetime is which is God-realization. of heaven 
truths which all seeking him should know how the soul made to live in freedom and reclaim its eternal right how the Born of our delusion can be fired blazing.